This is the Right Now Podcast with Sarah Werner. Welcome back, listeners. I am so excited to be here with you again this week, and I am super double amazingly excited to have with me a very special guest to interview on today's show. I have with me KB Wagers, who is just an incredible person. I have a very official bio here. So KB Wagers is the author of the Indranon and Farian War trilogies from Orbit Books and the Neo G Adventures from Harper Voyager. They are a fan of Whiskey and Cats, Jupiter Ascending, and the Muppets. So I just know that we're going to have such a fascinating conversation. You can find KB Wagers on Twitter at KB Wagers and on Instagram at Midway Brawler for political commentary, plant photos, and video game playthroughs. And I will make sure to have those links available for you in the show notes for today's episode. Until then, in the meantime, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. It is great to have you here. (laughs) Is there some cat ruckus going on? It was like half a second after that intro and the cat was like launched himself off the desk. (laughs) They can sense it. (laughs) Pretty much. We both have, uh, for those of you who are listening, which is all of you, we both have very active cats here with us tonight. And so they're they're just, there might be some rumblings going on cat-wise. So I'll try not to trim those out so that you can get full cat enjoyment. So, so hi, I've welcomed you to the show. And then just we immediately devolved into talking about cats. But KB, also known as Katie, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe how you got into the whole writing thing in the first place? Oh, wow. I do. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we no said small we were thing. Good, right? <laughs> we said we were going to be here for two hours. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's why. Oh, I'm ready. I'm ready. You know, I have been writing like basically since I was old enough to start writing. And that's, it has always been something that has fascinated me and always been something that I enjoyed. I started writing more seriously with an eye towards publication when I was in high school. So like all the way back in 1999. 1994. Something like (laughs) Like, that. That was like 10 years ago, right? Is that that? Yeah. 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 Very recent. (laughs) Yeah. So it's fine. It hasn't been that long. And yeah, I mean, I was very lucky. I grew up on a farm in uh, northeastern Colorado. And some of my fondest memories are my mother taking us to the library in town to get books, you know, and then and you come home with a stack of books, half of which you've read on the 20 minute drive. Yes, I remember that. (laughs) Yeah, I got to give a talk at Brush Library a couple of years ago, which was such a like surprisingly emotional event and also very, like very delightful. To like a homecoming. Yeah. So, and then, yeah, I've just, like I said, I started writing more seriously in high school and like trying to get published starting about 99 and yeah, wrote like 13 books or something, queried out like <laughs> about five of them before I finally got my agent in 2012. And then all of a sudden, this whirlwind of publishing six books for Orbit in the last five years, and then the new books for Harper Voyager. The first one came out last year, and then the next book comes out just uh, next month in July. So 
Yeah, it's very exciting. Ooh, I love this. I love this. So I love that you just casually dropped, yeah, I wrote 13 books. Tell us, like, what did that look like? Was that just go to school, come home, and just, like, write straight into the night? Or, like, what did that look like, and what prompted that? You know, pretty consistently. It was, yeah, just, like, while I was in college or was probably where I wrote the bulk of them. And then also like when I was working after I graduated from college. So, you know, go to school and then write in every spare second, go to work, write basically before work, during lunch, break, after work, and then do a whole lot else. And yeah, it's a, I am happiest when I am writing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for the longest time, that was, that was it. And I, there are only a couple of times in my life when I haven't been writing, like, now which is not great Mm. where where I get like really really kind of depressed and despondent and it's just I don't like being in this place so Mm. yeah so I just I pumped out yeah something like half a million words I think before I got published and you know I took the long slow road to being published I think to say which is partially why I just kept writing books like I'd query stuff out and while I was querying I'd start a new book and Just write on it. A lot of times I was just writing for me too. So, Oh, I have so many questions because of this. But first, I'd like to ask, you know, you you talked about your happiest when you're writing. Is that really what drove you to sort of like, because I know how exhausting it is to be a college student. I know how exhausting it is to have a job and to like come home with that energy and that fire to create. Um, Was that driven by that search for happiness or was that driven by something else? No, I would say like that it was legitimately something I enjoyed doing. And so that's like a big chunk of my free time was spent, you know, writing and reading. And that was about it. So yeah, that's currently sort of in the process of trying to figure out where that joy went. And if it was just, you know, like, like wrestling with the burnout, like we were talking about the other day. Yeah. Let's talk about that now if we can, if that's okay with you. So like you were initially, and I think this is going to resonate with so many listeners. You initially wrote for the joy of it. It felt free. It felt good. It felt happy and right. And right now you're in a place where it's, it doesn't feel great anymore. And you talked a little bit about, you know, you're not writing it's, you're maybe in some depression. Can you tell us what happened or what transitioned there? So I think there were a number of things. I learned some very valuable lessons about when you're a brand new writer and you're a debut and you have a new contract and everything feels shiny and new, you don't want to say no Mm. to people. And so I've learned some very valuable lessons in the last four-ish years about the value of saying no and the value of being just aware of how much work goes into not only writing a book, but publishing a book. Mm. Like we, when you write your very first book, you have all the time in the world, right? You write it and you polish it and you query it. Once you sign a contract and start writing books much more regularly, especially like kind of in the, in the pace that I was doing it, which was a seemingly easy one book a year initially, and then two books a year because past Katie had poor ideas about how easy that would be. That you are not only writing a book usually, but you are also editing a book, copy editing a book, doing promo stuff for books, doing final pass pages for books answering questions about books, dealing with the 
sales for other books, depending on where you are. You know, if you're, I, thankfully I have an agent, I am traditionally published. I don't have to manage all of that other stuff by myself, but there is quite a bit of marketing that we still do on our own. So yeah, so you're doing all of that in addition to writing and learning how to juggle sort of the business side of it is, is a lot of work. And so initially, uh, when I signed the first contract and I was like, yeah, I can write, you know, I can write these books. I, I joke a lot. I, I wrote the first book in three months, but then I spent like six years querying it oh, and revising it yeah. and doing all this stuff. <laughs> I wrote the second book in the Indron and War series in three months. And then we edited it in like three months and then we published it. Oh, wow. That's, that's a huge difference. Markedly different experience. And one of the things that uh, people are frequently told not to start writing this, the next book in a series, because so many things can change. You know, if I hadn't started writing the second book in the series, while I had been querying that other stuff out, even though some things changed extremely dramatically, I'm not even sure I would have been able to like, hit my deadlines. Because I basically had 45,000 words of material that I was able to pull stuff from to write that. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And then we jumped right into the third book. And then I sold a contract for three more books. And it was like a book a year, kind of at that same pace. And then, as I said, past Katie, I got an offer from Harper Voyager to write this Neo G and develop this Neo G series. And I don't regret saying yes, but... I certainly probably should have sat down with the timetable a little mm. bit more and been a little bit more realistic about what working, you know, a 40 hour plus day job and trying to write two books looks like. Oh my <laughs> it's, gosh. It's not a lot of fun. <laughs> so, and that way kids leads to burnout. <laughs> so so what, that's what we were talking about. Yeah. So yeah, since late 2016, like, basically all I've been doing is writing mm-hmm. and working. And there's there's some other, there's a lot of personal upheaval and stuff going on in my life. And so it has been extremely exhausting. And this is the first time in a long time that I only have one book due, you know, at the end of the year, I have not had to write at that same pace. And I've kind of been trying to write again, mm-hmm. but I, it's mostly just a lot of laying on the couch, like flopping around, <laughs> wondering if I'm going to be able to do this again. Yeah. Which I think I will, but yeah, it can be an exhausting business, especially if you, you know, creatives, we, we'd like to spend a lot of time and it's hard to train yourself out of the idea that if you are not actively putting words on a page, you're not being productive. And it's, that's not the case. Like sitting, staring at the wall, thinking about what the characters might do in a particular scene is still writing work, you know, doing, making playlists is still writing work. Like eventually you do have to sit down and write the words. Like, like don't get me wrong. You can, you cannot spend all your time world building. You have to actually write the book, (laughs) but but that stuff is still work and it is still writing work and it is still valuable time spent. I appreciate you saying that so much. I went through this point where 
I, and I, I think I'm probably speaking for a lot of folks who are listening. I only counted like the word count production as quote unquote real work. And this is really how I burned myself out was I was like, oh, the daydreaming, that's for fun. And even sometimes the writing is just for fun and I can cram in all of this other stuff. And then you just, yeah, you get to the, you get to the burnout place. So and it, and it is the bad place. And so I know you and I were talking the other day and we were talking about like, how do we rediscover joy, right? Because that's, I think for you and me, I had to think for a second if it was for you and I, but I think it is for you and me grammatically. A lot of our work success came out of the fact that we were writing for fun and that it felt good to write and we were creating things we loved and that's what made our work resonate with our audience. So like, how do we infuse that joy back into it? You know, especially since you're on a deadline and you can't be like, oh, I'm just going to take a a quick six month sabbatical and like heal up. Have you made any headway in in rediscovering or reclaiming joy in this process? You know, I have. And one of the ways I've done it, which seems sort of ironic, but I, I do have a Patreon and I do try to post pretty regularly. I have not prior to this year written like original stuff for the thing because there was just no time to do it. But I decided at the end of 2020 that I was going to take a trunked novel and, and basically clean it up and I'm releasing it as a like serialized, like weekly chapter book on the Patreon. And it's one of my favorite, it was, I call it the space opera that was 10 years too early because I, I wrote it and I queried it. And the response I frequently got back was, this is awesome, but I have no idea how to sell this. Oh. Because it really was just too, it's like Hitchhiker's Guide meets Battlestar Galactica meets like Jupiter Ascending, <laughs> you know, before Jupiter Ascending existed. Yeah, um, it's all my like favorite all, things. <laughs> right, like all sorts of weirdness and all sorts of fun. And so that's actually been a lot of fun. And once I kind of got in a groove where I was like, editing I have you know I have it scheduled so that it posts on Saturday mornings but on Saturday mornings I sit down and I edit the chapter for the next week so that oh, I'm, cool. you know ahead of the game a little bit and that's actually been a lot of fun because I do I really loved that story and there just wasn't anything you know there wasn't anything to do with it mm-hmm. sale wise and I my agent could and he might yell at me for like not like not sending it to him again but we can always do that, you know, later. But for right now, I'm like, you know what, this is just for me and mm-hmm. the folks who are on my Patreon. And we're just gonna have some fun with it. So and it really has been like a lot of fun to go back and read it and not be super critical. Like, I'm like, it's a 10 year old book. It's not as good as some of my current writing. It's there's some obvious like flaws, but I'm not really paying a whole lot of attention to edits or trying to make sure that the like plot narrative is super tight or anything like that. I'm like, there are live warned everybody. There will be holes in this. We're just gonna roll with Oh. That's so. fun though. It almost makes it like a like everyone's in on it, you know? Yeah. And so that's so that's been one thing. And then yeah, the other is really just like I man, you the the worst thing about burnout is reminding yourself that you are burned out, and that's why you're not doing the stuff that you feel like you should quote unquote be doing. And you know, so I'm just like, no, you don't have to sit down and write. Like mm-hmm. you're still like, if you would rather go to bed at seven thirty in the evening, then go do it. Like you just where your your day job kind of went up up in smoke. 
and I'm training somebody new and it, that takes a lot of effort, which I always forget how much effort it takes to train somebody. But you're trying to remember like how you do all the things that you now just do automatically. And it, you have to explain it to somebody in a manner that they can understand. And, yeah. and then you have to be patient and explain it to them 800 more times. <laughs> and so, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to listen to audiobooks, which I traditionally have never had a whole lot of success doing because I get really easily distracted. But I'm hoping that that will maybe make it so that I can actually start reading again. Mm. Cause that was kind of one of the other things that got took a ax to the face. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks burnout. Yeah, seriously. I appreciate you talking about and talking candidly about your experience with burnout so much, because I think that a lot of people are in it right now or coming out of it right now, or maybe even just entering it. And it's so good to hear a relatable, a relatable story. I think it's also going to surprise some listeners that despite having multiple book contracts, you're also still working a a 40-hour-a-week full-time job. I think that there's this, I don't know if I want to call it like pervasive, but there's this dream that like, I can't wait till I sell my book, A, and then B, quit my job. Like they go hand in hand. Can you talk to us a little bit about the reality of what that looks like? Yeah, it is so, I still remember when my agent called me at my job, right? Like we were on Twitter, people were talking, this was like a couple of years ago, I think about like, where were you when you got the call that you had sold books? And I was like, at my job, every single time I have gotten a call about my book stuff, at my job. When I got a call about, (laughs) Hey, we, you know, about the movie option or the TV option that they did, like, I was at my job. Like, that's just the reality of it. And my agent said to me, like, don't quit your job. That was his, that was probably his, like, I think maybe the third thing he said to me after he said, are you sitting down? And then told me that Orbit had made an offer. (laughs) And yeah, it just, I remember joking with one of the drivers at my work when he, he was like, oh, you write books. Why are you still here? And I said, well, I did the math on the sale of my first three books and the rough, like hours that have been put into it. And I made something like a quarter an hour on it. So a living wage. (laughs) So a living wage, you know, like like not even remotely. And while I got, I got a far better advance for my debut trilogy than a lot of other people did. And I got paid very well for the second trilogy. And I got a, you know, two very good contracts from Harper Voyager for the Neo G books. There's just so, there's so much. My partner was out of work for five years. Um, so I was like the sole provider in the house. We had a, a number of other kind of medical emergencies. And then everybody knows how fast that eats stuff up, even when you do have insurance. Yeah. And so there's been a lot um, of basically just kind of like trying to get by and trying to continue to survive. And, you know, uh, health insurance. (laughs) Although uh, SIFWA, the science fiction fantasy writers of America, now is able to offer uh, health insurance to their members, which is, that just happened in the last 18 months. Wow. Like, that's a big deal. It is a huge deal. It, It essentially opens up that avenue for me to actually consider leaving my day job because I no longer have to worry about where am I going to get health insurance. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of it's just stability and 
for me especially, there is a calculation of I like the stability of a regular paycheck because publishing is notoriously uncertain. And my publishers are both awesome and they pay me on time. And my agent is very awesome and good at at keeping track of what he is supposed to keep track of. It still almost always takes three times longer than you think it's going to for you to get paid for stuff. And for me, the calculation of how much does not having the certainty of a regular paycheck impact my stress levels Mm. and thereby impacting whether or not I can create, which is really something people have to take into account. As lovely as it would be to have, you know, an extra 40 hours a week on hand to do stuff and to, you know, sleep in. Although let's be realistic. I probably still wouldn't sleep in. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That is just like, that type of stress is not something I do well with. And I know I don't do well. So I'm yeah, I'm kind of currently trying to figure out like, where where do you draw the line on that? How much money in the bank account is enough to make you go, okay, I feel like I can actually do this now because I can reasonably be assured that I'm going to get another contract in the next six months. Yeah. Yeah. Which, hey, nobody knows, you know, right. book dropped what, the week before the pandemic hit. And, and boy, there were a lot of other writers in 2020 whose debuts, you know, that wasn't my debuts, but just, it really can put a crimp in what you're trying to do. And there's no way to predict that. And so having the stable income that you can rely on, oh my gosh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a huge difference. And that's, that's why like so many authors out there are, either have spouses who are are employed and thereby providing, you know, a stable steady income and some sort of health insurance. Um, Or they've gotten to the point where they've really like, they've either sold enough books that their royalty checks are coming in on a regular basis, or they have enough contracts kind of spaced out that they know that money is coming and you don't get paid everything up front too. That's always like, well, that's tricky. (laughs) That stuff that you don't think about, you know, you get paid. I Orbit's stuff was a little bit different um, versus Harper Voyager. So it also varies by publisher, how they break that stuff up. But, you know, $60,000 sounds like a lot of money until you realize that it's spaced out over three years uh. and broken up by like initial signing contract, turning in your manuscript, getting published type of situation. So it's still not, you know, and taxes mm-hmm. and your agent's commission mm-hmm. <laughs> and how much money you quick. put. Yeah. Like paying for your website, paying for conventions, paying for travel, you know, paying to ship books out. Wow. Like there's all sorts of budgeting stuff that you have to then kind of factor back into what, what you're making. Oh, so wow. that's, yeah. Like 90% of my book money has been filtered back into survival or, my actual career. Wow. I did set a, a, a pretty hard and fast rule, which is to buy yourself something absolutely ridiculous and like whatever you consider expensive with each like paycheck that you got so that it didn't all feel like it was just going towards like bills mm-hmm. and stuff that's not necessarily <laughs> any fun and nobody wants to use their money for that. But, you know, yeah, that way it's like, oh, okay, I know this is coming and now I have this 
uh, you know, X shiny thing that Yay, I treat yourself. With. So, yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh, this is so enlightening and so helpful. And so I don't know, I hope that that's uh, kind of steers people in the right direction, but also doesn't like crush their dreams. I, I hope that a little little dose of reality is, is helpful and, and good. And that that raises so many more questions for me. So I'm going to ask real quick, for you, why science fiction? And is that what you started writing with your original 13 novels? And and is that um, a place where you feel like called to or like what? Tell me, tell me about your relationship with sci-fi. Oh, I have also always been kind of a sci-fi geek. You know, I grew up, I, we, we lived out in rural Colorado, so we did not have cable when I was growing up. You know, we watched PBS, we watched Sesame Street, we watched the Muppet show, we watched a lot of like British television on PBS, including like Red Dwarf and Doctor Who. And so like, I was never more excited than when Doctor Who came back on the air. And because I watched like the old school classic Doctor Who. And so it was like coming home again. Mm. And I, I was always also fascinated with like Alice in Wonderland and Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and all of that type of stuff. So my very first like fully finished novel was this absolutely terrible like alien invasion novel that I wrote when I was in high school uh-huh, I love it and it was such a mess there was a cast of like six million people because it covered the whole globe and like all of this horrible time travel <laughs> the plot was a so terrible and a bunch of adults acting like teenagers because mm-hmm. I was you know 16 because that's where you are yeah yeah and I kind of dabbled uh, back and forth in urban fantasy because when I when I started querying, the the second book that I queried was actually a fantasy novel, and yeah, it was a um, it was about a young woman who ran away from home to become the first female knight of this order of knights. Oh heck the White, yes, the White Rose Knights, and I was yeah, it was. I would read the it, heck out of that. <laughs> it was such it was such a good book, and it's it's one of those trunk novels that I. I wish I could figure out how to resurrect it mm-hmm. and make it like good enough. And I just, I don't think I, you know, maybe someday when I have a lot of time mm. <laughs> to really sit down. But so that one, it got, got queried out quite a bit. And then it was sort of the rise of like the urban fantasy stuff. So I, I wrote several urban fantasy novels that were almost, but not quite good enough, which is sort of like, the thing that you hear a lot from agents when you're like, as you start to get better and better in your writing and you present better and you go from like form letter rejections to actual requests for stuff. And, um, and then, you know, this is great, but it just, I couldn't resonate with it or it's, it's also subjective. And I tell Mm -hmm. people all the time, you can't, you can't take a lot of those rejections personally, and you can't take a lot of this personally because you, writing his books for a living means spending your entire life where you've just kind of bared your soul and people are like, yeah, it's not for me. <laughs> ooh, ooh. How do you um, deal with that? Or how did you learn? This is a slight tangent, but like, yeah, you just have to like, let it go. Mm-hmm. Like you, you have to recognize that art is, is so subjective and, and everything is just because somebody doesn't like something doesn't mean that it's not any good. Um, I was actually mm-hmm. just talking about this today on Twitter because I've been trying to play Mass Effect 
which the re- the release of the legendary edition meant that it was finally available on PS4 and I could finally play it. Yes! And I'm so excited because I know so many people who love it. You know, I, I have a cat named Garrus. <laughs> like, like, so perfect. And, and people are always like, you've never played Mass Effect and you have a cat named Garrus. <laughs> a little like, disconnect. I know, it's a very long story. And I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I kind of slogged through the first game and it was fine, but it wasn't like this is calling to my heart, Mm. which I always use like Dragon Age Inquisition is kind of the standard for that because I played it and it was just like, oh, I, and I have kind of slogged and spite played my way through Mass Effect (laughs) 2. Because I I keep getting so angry because the, I I have issues about the difficulty settings, but I don't I'm not like immediately drawn to any of the characters. Even Garrus, I'm just kind of like, yeah, he's fine. Like, but I don't get to spend you don't get to spend a lot of time talking to them, and I think that I expected that based on what everybody had like their reactions. I finally met Legion, and I'm like, is it wrong that like my favorite character is the Geth? Like, that, oh no, I love like, Legion. I was like, why is he, why was he not here the whole time? I don't like it because it's, it doesn't have a lot of the stuff that I really like in games. And so the, I like having an open world game where I can just go and play for a while. And this is very mission oriented. Like you, you can't just go to a world and land and fight Geth for an hour. Like you go and you do a mission and 20 minutes later it's done. Yeah. Or you die 18 times and you rage quit. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> and you're like, I'm never playing this game again. And you walk away from it for two weeks. And then you come back like super grumpy and <laughs> maybe finally figure out how to beat the stupid thing. Mm-hmm. But, oh my gosh. And so, oh, we were talking about like, how do you deal with that? Mm. So yeah, like when I was talking about it today, I was like, it's, I don't think that Mass Effect is necessarily a bad game. It's just not for me. It doesn't ring the bell that I want it to ring. And so that is something that you always have to remember is that in writing, like there's always going to be people who don't like your books. There's always going to be people who, who love your books. Mm-hmm. Um, there are always going to be people out there who like other writers who do better than you, who mm-hmm. get more recognition, who have better contracts, you know, and there are always going to be writers who don't, who don't get that same thing. Mm. Um, and so you just, you want to be very aware and very focused on your own stuff um, and telling the stories that you want to tell and learning how to like articulate in this business um, because it is very much a business, learning how to articulate the soul of the mm. art mm. that you want and and tell the story that you want to tell. Mm. Oh, that's so beautifully said. It was interesting. You know, you were talking about like, I've, I've written these other novels and they're not quote good enough. Was that your own standard? It just didn't speak to what you really wanted to create or it was more like, oh, this isn't going to sell. It was mostly that they just, they weren't going to sell and from somebody else's perspective. Okay. Looking back on it now, like I'm super grateful. Mm. I'm, I'm really thankful that I did not like sell that very first book because my career would have taken an entirely different trajectory. I would not have written the books that I have written and I wouldn't be where I am now. So I am 
Yeah. Like looking back, you know, 10, 15 years later at some of my old writing, I can see the progression. Mm. And so when I say like, those aren't any good, like that's the, that in that sense, it's just, I've grown. It's been 15 years. I've, I've learned how to write better mostly <laughs> still <laughs> commas. Um, <laughs> I have, you know, I've, I've learned how to tell a pretty darn good story. Whereas some of the early stories were just like a lot of, you know, collections of vignettes mm. or mm. things that were happening versus like any sort of cohesive plot being tied together. So yeah, that's just, yeah, that's just kind of the way things go. And it's, I, I really am thankful to be here now and doing the work that I'm doing now because I'm getting to tell stories that I really do love. I love that. I know we're creeping up on our time here. Do you have time for a couple more questions? I do. Oh, wonderful. Good. Because I want to ask, like, during that time, you know, you develop as a writer over 10 years. Can you pinpoint or talk about what some of that development looked like? Did you get better simply because you were writing more, because you were reading, or did you take classes, or what did that development look like? You know, I mostly I did a lot of reading and a lot of writing. I consistently tell people on my Twitter that I don't believe there's anything such there's no such thing as wasted words. Mm. Any mm. writing that you do is development for future you to build off. Oh, of. I love this. And so I never I I am very much like a solitary writer. I never went to any like any of the big like Clarion West or, or those sort of, I don't even, are they workshops? I'm not even sure. I think so. Yeah. (laughs) Where, where you do like some intensive work and then you have a bunch of other people do it. Mostly I just like wrote by myself and I did, I was very lucky to have a pretty core group of critique partners Mm -hmm. and beta readers who were able to kind of, you know, pull out that no holds barred type of we're, we're all relatively brutal with each other about like, this is terrible. Where are you going with that? That can be so valuable though, you know, from someone you trust. Yeah, it really can. And it's, it is very important. You want people to be like, I love this book. Mm. But now I, I at least know, like when Lisa says, I love this book, she means it. Yes. Like, and she means it in the sense that like you fixed all the problems <laughs> that, that were previously existent. Right. Oh my gosh. So yeah. And I just, I just like kept writing and the, and the one book didn't work and didn't get me an agent. And so I was like, okay, rather than I just, I didn't believe in the particular value of like trying to rework the same story over and over again. Yeah. Rather I did like think that it was a good idea to just move on and start telling a new story. The only time that that has not been accurate is my agent read the original draft of Behind the Throne and and rejected it, but with a very lovely letter that Ooh. was like, I see the story that you're trying to tell here and I know you didn't do it. Oh my um, gosh. If you want to revise it and resubmit it, I would be happy to take another look. And then with like some, you know, note more detailed notes about how you how do you fix this? Here's what here's what I see you trying to do. Here's where this completely failed type of thing. Wow. And that's I there are only like five people in the world, I think, who have read the original draft of Behind the Throne. The first 10 pages of the book, though, are exactly the same 
as they were. Like I, re- I basically tore the entire thing apart and reworked it. Wow. Um, <laughs> a lot of the characters the same and the settings the same and the general tone is the same, but everything else got completely torn apart. But those first 10 pages are exactly the same with one detail that got added and that changed like the entire book. Ooh. And that's always fun. Yeah. It's always a fun like thing to, to look at and how you, you add, you know, one thing to a story and it completely changes everything that happens from that point forward. <sighs> so, and this, yeah, so I, I rewrote it and I, and I submitted it and he, and then he offered me rep. So, and then we spent another like 18 months out on submission. <laughs> so, <laughs> that is a whole other show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, we both just laugh ominously. Right. I'm like, it's a never ending. That's the other thing. Yes. It's a never ending waiting game. If you're not, you're waiting to hear back from agents about your queries. And then you're waiting to hear from your agent about submissions. And then you're waiting to hear from other agents about potential projects. And then you're waiting to hear from, you know, movie producers about options. <laughs> and then you're waiting to hear from a lawyer about something else. Like it's, that's get used to waiting kiddos. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> it's, it is. But that gives us the right, hopefully. Yeah, basically. Yeah. When you're not like, don't sit there and obsessively refresh your email box. You just go write something. Mm-hmm. I love that. This is so eye-opening and so valuable, even for me listening to you say these things. I mean, especially about moving on and not rewriting and rehashing the same story over and over again. I think that's something that I needed to hear too, you know, personally, because it's hard to let those pieces of ourselves go. Yeah. Really, it really is. And that's, you know, I look back even like this project for Patreon, I look back and I'm like, I loved these characters. I love these characters with my entire being and it's such a delight to play with them again. But I am again, like so grateful that I moved on mm-hmm. and so grateful because I, I had a whole new set of characters that I now love and treasure. And then an, another set after that, that I got to love and treasure. And it's, I mean, it's the same, I think as reading books, right? We pick up books that we really love but you're never just going to read the same book over mm-hmm. and over and over again for the end of time, yeah. right? You might come back and revisit it and be very happy. And it was it's such a delight. I've had readers tell me that like the end of the Farian War is is the end of Hale's story essentially. But they love being able to like go back and pick it up again and it's like revisiting old friends. That's and that's oh, you know, that's yeah, good. Like that's a good like, feeling. That's what you want to hear. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh my gosh. You know, you you talked earlier about, you know, writing isn't just writing. Writing is, you know, you're spending your time not only like producing words and like brainstorming and outlining and all of that stuff. You're also responsible for marketing and maybe doing book tours and all of this other stuff. Is there anything that you've learned from that process? Like And I know that a lot of people listening kind of figure that if they get traditionally published, like the publishing house just takes care of all of that when it sounds like you're doing a lot of this yourself. So what's something that you've taken away like marketing wise or PR wise or anything like that? Well, there are a couple of things like I I am very lucky to have PR folks and, and oftentimes they will handle a lot of stuff, which infinitely makes things easier, Good. right? Because you just, you get emails in your inbox that are like, hey, you know, so-and-so wants to do an interview with you. 
are you up for it? Do you want to do it? I am nowhere near popular enough for book tours. I'll just throw that okay. out there <laughs> right now. And it's like, and, and honestly, like, like 90% of authors out there don't do book tours. Like that's such a like sort of fantasy author thing. Mm. I think like mm. there's so much kind of calculations and things that go on behind the scenes in publishing and with traditional publishing houses where they, you know, I don't even know half of it, like how they make the decision of, of who to put on book tour, mm-hmm. how they back certain books and why they decide to back, you know, book A over book B or that type of stuff. So I have learned like a lot of times you want to make sure that you are actually communicating with your PR people and with your editor and with your agent and not just assuming that things are going to be done. Mm. You know, not everybody gets cover releases Mm. you know so like if you want a cover release you either need to like talk to your PR folks and see if that's something that's actually going to happen if it's not you want to like reach out to people in the book community you know book reviewers and bloggers and and people who do YouTube and stuff like that and make contacts there and then you have kind of a pool of people to talk to about you're like hey do you want to bo- do a book re- you know a book cover release for my book kind of the same thing for release parties mm-hmm. you know hold fast through the fire comes out the 27th of July and situation being what it is like can't really have a I don't feel comfortable enough to have a party but also like if 2020 showed us anything, it was that like the ability that we now have to do things online and it opens up the accessibility Mm. for so many people. That's actually kind of awesome. So yeah, we're doing a old firehouse books, which is sort of my local bookstore up North in Fort Collins. We're doing a panel. I want to say it's the 29th. And me and a a couple of my author friends are going to get together and talk about speculative fiction and, Space opera and superheroes and Mass Effect, probably. <laughs> I can't avoid at it. Least two, yeah, at least two of them were like, let's talk about Mass Effect. And I was like, I will try not to like <laughs> rant too much. <laughs> and so, but that was solely because I contacted the bookstore and was mm. like, hey, you guys were so lovely to put on a, we had a party for in March the last time I saw people (laughs) basically uh we had a party for my book release the beginning first week of March and you know hey would would, do you want to do something online for it and they're such lovely folks that they were like yeah we'd love to so yeah so you just you want to you want to be aware and kind of proactive about your about your marketing you cannot control your book sales Mm. I will like say that again you have zero control over your book sales. You can scream about your book on social media all day long. It will have little to no impact on your book sales. You can't obsess about your book sales. You can't like worry about why nobody's talking about your books. All you can do is try and keep writing the next book mm. and like do what little things you can to kind of try and get the word out and and stuff but the whole time knowing that this is like a large percentage of luck and a large percentage of whoever your publisher decides to back in Mm. terms of like their promotion because their reach is obviously like so much bigger 
And then also purely like how many people really resonates with and, and if it decides to go completely, you know, off the rails, then that's great. But otherwise, no. Wow. Thank you for this. Thank you for all of this. This is so valuable. I love honesty and honest advice and, and just you sharing your experience is, is everything. So thank you. Good. If people do want to have, I don't want to say like have some control over your book sales, but if people want to purchase your books, if people want to find out more about you, there will be links in the show notes, but also tell us where can they find you and what, yeah, what should they do? Where should they go? So I am currently trying not to be on Twitter too much right now. (laughs) (laughs) This is another like mitigating, can I start writing again? Well, part of like, part of the task of writing is keeping your butt off social media. But you can find me on Twitter on KB. It's at KB Wagers. And then uh, the other social media platform that I'm on the most really is Instagram, which is at Midway Brawler. And that's seriously, I don't do a lot of book promo Hmm. there. Mostly it's pictures of the cats and pictures of my plant collection and occasional other things that I find really interesting. So, and then you can also visit my website. It's just kbwagers.com and it's got like links for all the books if you want to go check them out hey that is always awesome and you should because they're wonderful yes <laughs> <laughs> i do like them quite a bit so, <sighs> and that's yeah you want to you want to love what you do and you should love your writing and you should love the act of writing mm-hmm. despite all claims to the contrary art is not about suffering it's about joy thank you that I want to end on that note. That is beautiful. Thank you. Oh my gosh, Katie, this has been an absolute, an absolute joy, which is what we're searching for. So, so thank you for guiding us to that. Thank you for being here with us today. And those of you who are listening, please visit the links in the show notes for today's episode. Connect with KB Wagers, AKA Katie on Twitter and all of the places. And I will see you all next week.